Hey, 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 welcome back to the Lifelong Podcast, a show all about low toxic living and longevity. I'm always so thrilled to come on and post these episodes for you all because there's nothing more exciting to me than being able to usher in this change and helping everyone, no matter their background, live a healthier, more holistic, life, you know, that fosters optimal health and longevity. So today's episode is going to be a little different because I recently was featured on a health summit with Dr. Victoria McDonald. And I wanted to pull some of these snippets because I did a lot of talking about mold illness and low toxic living. And because I sometimes do solo episodes, I thought this would be the perfect opportunity. So I'm going to give a little bit of background before each snippet, just to make it easier to comprehend. But it basically starts out with me getting asked about how I got my mindset right when I was sick with my debilitating and mysterious illness. And if you're looking to hear my full story with my journey with mold illness, you can catch that on episode number 12. So with that, Here's my response to Dr. Victoria's question. Yeah, it it was uh, a lot of it was out of desperation because you know I'm laying there in bed and I'm feeling like I can't breathe and I don't want to go out and have a social life most most days because I felt so bad. So I realized that even though I didn't have the the you know physical answer, the answer to what was physically going wrong in my body, I realized that the mind is, the mind is powerful. Um, even though I knew the mind wasn't creating all of it, I knew that I could use my mind to my advantage. And I strongly suggest people check out Dr. Joe Dispenza and Doc, er, Louise Hay. Those were two really awesome resources and people that I looked up to when I needed to, I guess, get my mindset right and be able to um, meditate better and lean into my intuition better. Those two people are amazing resources. They have books, YouTube videos, all the things, Instagram accounts. Um, But what I think would be most helpful for those listening that are kind of maybe new to this, and most people aren't aren't used to leaning into their intuition because we have this society that is just so there's so much noise and there's just so much going on and we are we've become human doings instead of human beings so the more that people can truly just let go of everything going on and sit and be mindful of the moment they're in just going through the different senses, even if you feel miserable. For me, it was hard because I felt really bad. And I'm like, well, I don't want to like do anything. I feel so bad. I just feel so bad. I feel so bad. And then you realize you're saying all this and you're programming that in your mind. So what people can do is they can absolutely meditate 
but sometimes starting to meditate is even too much for people. It feels too overwhelming. So what I encourage my clients to do, um, I, I, I suggest starting out by just spending some time in the morning stretching or turning on some binaural beats, which are the healing frequencies and just getting away from noise and distractions in the phone and just literally just sitting there and running through your senses. Think of something look at one thing, smell one thing, um, taste one thing, and just be very creative with it. So those are some ways, but I want everyone to know too, that the answers are always within you. It's just about making that space for yourself and turning off the world. And so, and it takes a lot of practice, but everyone is 100% capable of doing it. And once you learn about this tool, it's like it just snowballs and gets better in the best possible way because you realize, oh my gosh, like maybe you're working through a big decision in your life, thinking about maybe moving cities or changing career, you know, instead of doing all the logical stuff, which is important, so important. The logical is obviously important, but we need a balance of the the logical and then the emotional just intuitiveness of, wait, sitting here and being here and maybe being on a yoga mat and stretching. And then it's like, it comes to you, wait, I really do need to move to California. Like it's the craziest thing when you give yourself that space, maybe go for a hike by yourself. Don't even listen to a podcast. Just look around and all of a sudden these answers and things will start coming, coming out of you in a way. It's really cool. It's hard to explain, but I want to motivate everyone um, and let them know that everyone has the ability. Now we start to go deeper into mold illness. How do we know if we're exposed and what plays a role in getting the illness? Yeah, it's, it's a tr- it's a tricky one. I'm going to be super honest. So mold is very interesting because for a lot of reasons. Um, first of all, there are many different types of mold, and really the main one that like mainstream people are familiar with is black mold. But there are all different types of mold, and within each type of mold, they all have a different, um, I guess, metabolic off gas that are called mycotoxins. So it's not the mold that necessarily makes you one sick. It's the toxic off gas it produces. Funny thing. Some people like to call it mold farts is the mycotox. It's called a mycotoxin. And that's the actual toxin, the VOC, the volatile organic compound that creates havoc in the body. So the thing is, it is hard that that makes it tricky, but also it's because there's so many, but it's also tricky because you can't always see it or smell it. So many times people think I'm good. I moved into a new build. I um, don't want an old house. There's, those could be so moldy and whatever. And I hate to break it to you all, but mold is found in all types of homes, new and old. And actually, it's even more prevalent in new homes because of the way homes are now being built. Um, a lot of thing, things are not built the way they, they were in the past. Think about 
if you envision a house from the you know early 1900s versus a house from today, you can picture masonry, craftsmanship, um, more natural materials versus today. It's all drywall and it's cheap and it's quick and it's how many can we crank out in a day. And so, and then the houses are also more, there's way less airflow now in these houses, these new houses, because they're so insulated. There, there's no good circulation to get the air out. Um, so that's why everyone should be opening their windows every single day. So because it's super complicated, I would not want people to start getting freaked out if they're hearing this information like, oh, maybe because I can't see it, I can't smell it. There might be mold everywhere. That's not the case. Um, what you really want to pay attention to is how you feel. If you, because not everyone, I need to touch on this, not everyone is going to struggle with mold illness. There can be families where everyone in the family is in a moldy home, a moldy environment. They all are eating the same food. They all have the same um, toxin, you know, exposures, you know, to a certain extent, but not everyone will respond or have symptoms. And that's why a lot of times those dealing with mold illness are told they are crazy because no one else in your family is dealing with this. Your roommate isn't dealing with this. So you're just crazy. Um, but the thing is, everyone has a different toxic burden. And the toxic burden, there's a really cool analogy called the overflowing bucket. And everyone has a bucket and everyone has a limit. They get to where the bucket starts overflowing. And for many people, that bucket will never overflow, which is amazing. Um, and that's ideally how it should go. But for the other people that are uh, chronically ill or dealing with mysterious symptoms, their buckets are overflowing. And so mold is one of those things that when it gets into this uh, metaphorical bucket, it really can cause things to overflow because it is so toxic to certain individuals because it reduces your immune system. And it also makes you highly inflamed. And we know that inflammation is the root of disease and that having a lower immune system, you're going to be opening up yourself to all different viruses and pathogens and things like that. So it's found in a whole bunch of different spots. It's not something that I want people to just start kind of looking for. You only want to be looking for it if you're dealing with mysterious symptoms and you're working with someone that is an expert in this area. Um, so I'm not sure if that helps. It's just such a confusing topic, but hopefully that helps a little bit. Uh-huh. It's all of it. So there are certain genes such as the HLA-DR, the MTHFR. Um, there's a whole host of different genes that make one more susceptible to illness because their body has trouble autonomically detoxifying. So in a perfectly healthy individual, we should be able to have these exposures and be exposed to the mycotoxins and have the mycotoxins in our body and let them just filter out through all of our detoxification pathways. 
But unfortunately for those that have some of these genes, like I mentioned, it makes it a heck of a lot harder to get these things out. So about a quarter of the population has the HLA-DR gene, and that's the, I guess, the most popular gene right now that's linked with mold illness. And so that's a good, I guess, representation of, okay, 75% of people won't experience mold illness. So they, maybe that's why they do think the 25% are crazy. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a big number. 25% is a big number, but yeah, genes play a role. Um, and then individual toxins play a role. The womb plays a major role. Mothers need to be really, um, expecting mothers need to be very, uh, cognizant of their exposures, you know, the different products that are touching their body because our skin is an organ and it absorbs, um, toxins can actually get in through dermal absorption, uh, even inhalation of different things. You don't want to be painting a bedroom when you're pregnant, you know, simple things like that, but also other things like maybe don't use dryer sheets because there's harmful endocrine disrupting chemicals in there. And, um, I don't know, I could go super into that, but you were right on. It includes genetics, exposures, um, and nutrition plays a role too. I guess that kind of ties into the exposures because a lot of food is so toxic. So it's very individualized. And that's why I strongly encourage all practitioners to have a bio-individualized approach. I see so many people um, just having worked in this space and seeing other people out there doing this one size fits all. You can't do that because everyone has different exposures and different genetics and different life experiences and trauma. Trauma plays a role too. I guess that's another big one I should talk about. Trauma makes one more susceptible to, I guess, environmental toxin illness because your body just is more weakened. So And then I was asked how one uncovers mold illness and if there's any testing out there that helps. Yeah, so I strongly rely on a thorough health history. And actually, even a lot of other experts in the field say the thorough health history is the number one thing. I mean, going from birth until present day and talking about where they lived, different um different exposures, different lifestyle, different trauma that was experienced, different going through all the different products the person uses, going through um, literally everything in their life, nutrition. It's for me and for other experts, it, I shouldn't say it's easy, but there are such easy ways to determine if one does have mold illness. If you want to go a step further, there are tests out there. Um, the most popular ones are urine tests and those pick up the mycotoxins that are being excreted through your urine because urine is obviously one detoxification pathway. The problem is with testing that is that it, there are so many different discrepancies. So like if one tests for mold illness with this urine test, they might tests on, on day one before they start any type of detoxification and their results might be very low or nothing showing up. And then you test, you retest later on after doing a detoxification 
and then their numbers are high, which is crazy to think about. But in a way, it's like, oh, this is good because more mycotoxins are getting through into the urine. They're getting excreted out. So the testing becomes like this very vigorous process and you have to be super, super consistent about it. I've seen great um, results just through a health analysis and then creating customized protocol and monitoring all of my clients track everything through um, the online system that I use. So paying attention to every little detail, modifying protocol, things like that. Um, so in summary, health and health, thorough health analysis is number one. Number two, there are some tests you can do on the body. You can also do the genetic test. I, it's not important because it's like at the end of the day, the person has the symptoms. We already can tell that they're, you know, deal, you know, dealing with detoxification problems. What's the point of paying for another test? And I try to be very cognizant of just spending money. Um, but it's fun. It's fun to just, you know, get tests done and figure things out besides the poking and the prodding, if you're doing the blood. Um, and then lastly, there are tests that you can do on your home environment. So this kind of goes back to your other question, but I wouldn't want everyone to do it just in the interest of money and, um, overwhelm. It's, it's just something I recommend for those that are experiencing the the symptoms and kind of lining up with mold illness we want to ensure that their current home environment is free of mold and there are um, different tests you can do for the home environment that measure there's like a certain tests where you do dust sample and you send that into a lab and they can see if there's mycotoxins in the dust samples and you do it from different um, places in your home. There's also the spore thing where you put a little Petri dish and you, if spores start to grow, you can determine the type of mold. So there are some cool tests out there. This reminds me though, I, I want to just mention one, one other thing is that if you had a mold exposure in your youth or a number of years ago and, you and you're still experiencing symptoms that you can't get to the bottom of, you can still have the mycotoxins in your body. Because if you're one, you know, in that percentage of people, the 25% of people that have trouble detoxifying from the mycotoxins, which again are the thing that throw everything awry in all your organs, um, these mycotoxins don't go away if you have that genetic disposition. So the important thing is, you know, I work with clients and they're like, oh, well, I lived in mold when I was a child. I remember seeing mold in my basement. We had water leaks, and but, but my new place is fine. I'm good now. It's been 20 years. And I'm like, no, no, no. We need to still get these out of your body because they, if you're not, pulling them out and they're not getting pulled out on their own, you still need to go in and get them out. If you're experiencing symptoms, only if you're experiencing symptoms, <laughs> I want to emphasize that not everyone needs to do this, but because this is the line of work I do, pretty much everyone I work with, we are testing uh, their current home and then talking about their homes through their life. Dr. Victoria was also curious where mycotoxins store in the body. Here was my response. They hide anywhere and everywhere, but they are lipophilic. So they love fat and the fatty, I guess the most delicious part of the body for them is the brain. 
the brain is so fatty. So that's why the most common symptoms tied to mold illness and actually other toxin, environmental toxin illnesses, most all of them cause neurological symptoms because the toxins just love fat. So they go into the brain and that's why you, um, common things are the fatigue, the dizziness, the vertigo, the eye flutters, sensitivity to light, tingling, um, difficulty swallowing, maybe a little bit of, uh, some people get like the, you know, facial paralysis, Bell's palsy, um, shooting pains, things like that. So they, they go to the fat, they go, they go to the brain. Um, they also, the spores that are inhaled, a lot of those can get caught up in your lungs. That's why the next big area is respiratory symptoms. And then they can also go to different organs because they're just kind of going through the body. And if they're not being targeted through a detox, a targeted detox, this is not like some fad detox where it's like, hey, lose five pounds and do a detox. This is not the kind of detox I'm talking about. I'm talking about a targeted detoxification to pull them out. If they are not being pulled out, they're essentially, um, they're, then they're not going to the bile, which the bile pulls them out of the body. They're being redistributed all throughout the body. So in short, they can go everywhere, but they tend to go to the brain and the lungs. I was then asked, who is a low toxic lifestyle good for? Just those with mold illness or who else? I think that everyone, no matter if they're experiencing symptoms of mold illness or symptoms of, you know, some other illness, everyone is going to benefit from living a low toxic life. And by that, I mean, not just limiting your exposure to mold, but also limiting your exposure to all the other toxins in our world. So we are being bombarded. There are over 80,000 chemicals in our world. And on average, the average woman puts about, I think it's 300 different chemicals onto her skin every day, just through products. Because if you start to look at, you know, your face wash, it has maybe 30 different ingredients. And then if you're doing your 12 step skincare, which some people do piling all these different things on, you're like, even if you're not doing the 12 step skincare, you're still putting on your deodorant, showering, um, maybe some perfume. They, there are constant exposures to, excuse me, to different chemicals through the personal care products, through cleaning products. Cleaning, pro- cleaning products are a big one. They emit a lot of VOCs. That's why when you're in Target or you're some store like that and you walk down the laundry detergent aisle or one of the cleaning aisles, everything is sealed. Everything is completely hermetically-ish. <laughs> Might be the wrong word, but completely sealed. And you still are smelling all of the you know, lemony scents or ocean breeze, star dazzle, I don't know, funny smells when you're walking down that aisle. And the thing is these VOCs, they can just get through anything. So if you have a lot of cleaning products at home, you know, you have your specific one for the mirrors and you have your specific one for the toilet and your specific one for 
cleaning the stovetop and, you know, all these specific things you have, all these different things under your sink or in the cabinet that are just emitting VOCs in your home all day long. And so that's one area. Also within furnishings, a lot of uh, furniture nowadays and just carpeting and textiles are made out of very cheap um, fibers. So for instance, like polyester fiber, which is in many things, that's a synthetic fabric. A lot of rugs are made out of this. This is a product of the petroleum industry. So a lot of people aren't familiar with polyester, but it's essentially, it's a, a plasticized fabric and plastic, you know, that all comes from the oil industry. So it's like, you, there's all these weird exposures and the indoor environment is up to a hundred times more polluted than outdoor air. And if we're this is another big change. You know, nowadays everyone is inside, whereas 50 years ago, 100 years ago, everyone was kind of outside, you know, doing, doing the things, milking the cows, walking to work. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and nowadays we're just inside all day long and, so, and we're so much more sedentary. So the point is if we're inside, we're being exposed, we're essentially in these artificial boxes made out of artificial light being exposed to all these artificial things. So one of the best things you can do is open your windows every single day, even if it's freezing cold. I live in the Midwest and we have the worst weather. Like it's always cold here, but I open my windows for 30 minutes every single day. And it not only does it purify the air and just create circulation and freshen things up, but it almost just like gives you an en a new energy and you feel a little better. So that's very helpful. Um, another thing is to prioritize that time outside, go for a walk every day, get that sun on your skin. We have, we live in this world where we're so scared of the sun and everything in moderation, you know, I'm not going to say, oh, go burn yourself and be in the sun all day long. It's no, but get 30 minutes of sunlight at least a day to not only produce vitamin D, but to upregulate serotonin and to um, help lower cortisol. And basically it's super good for your hormones. It's good for your, uh, just your whole body well-being and it also regulates sorry I'm going off on a little tangent about the sun but I feel like this is a good takeaway some other key takeaways that are basics you know back to the basics the next basic after sunlight movement the third one is hydration and um I think mainstream is caught on to that you know we need to hydrate we need to drink water but we need to properly hydrate so many people are drinking toxic water they're drinking tap water or they're using a low quality filter the amount of shift you can see just by changing to super pure super clean water um is huge and also making sure you're properly mineralized so many people actually, especially those with mold illness. And I would say most people are not properly mineralized and you could be drinking all the water in the world, but if you're not mineralized, your cells um, are not hydrating. So you could be drinking all this water and you're just peeing it all out. 
you need it to, in order to be properly hydrated, you need the minerals so that, so that it can kind of shift its way into all the cells. Um, so an easy way for that is to consume high quality sea salt. I really like Redmond's sea salt. Um, I think it's Redmond's, I think it's just called Redmond's salt and it's essentially a mineral salt, very affordable, sprinkle a little in your water every day. Um, and you'll get amazing minerals and you'll hydrate your body and you'll be going to the bathroom less and you'll be feeling more energized because you're more hydrated. I was asked to share ways to support the body when removing toxins. My answer might surprise you. You know, some more common supplements and things like that and foods that I could share that everyone would benefit from. So I guess I'll start there. Again, I want to emphasize the importance of working with a practitioner that can help you figure out what you even are detoxifying from um, and being able to create a customized lifestyle, nutrition, and supplementation protocol. However, I, I think everyone would benefit from increasing their intake of bitter foods because bitter foods stimulate bile and bile binds to toxins. So the more we increase bile, I know it's kind of like the unsung hero, but it's like so gross to think about talking about bile, but it's pretty amazing that it can bind onto toxins. So you can increase your intake of bitter foods, which us Americans, we like sweet foods, you know, we like, we, we just kind of are more averted as a culture to, bit, to bitter foods. But some foods you could add into your diet include bitter greens like arugula or endive. Um, also green tea and coffee which everyone loves that one because it's like people love their coffee. Just make sure it's mold-free and organic. Um, both of those are bitter. That's why a lot of times people drink their morning coffee and have to go to the bathroom right away is because it stimulates bile and bile binds to toxins. So not saying that, oh, just drink coffee and all your problems are going to go away. <laughs> no, because it can cause problems too. You need to make sure you're drinking really high-quality mold-free coffee. Um, but some other foods too, like there's chocolate, dark chocolate is a bitter. Um, but I really like the bitter greens. Dandelion root is a good one. Those will help get toxins out of your body and kind of naturally detoxify you. As far as some of the lifestyle things, one thing that I promote a lot to my clients and my audience online is using a sauna or taking Epsom salt bath. So these are great because they open up your detoxification pathways, which is the number, the first step before you kind of go hardcore into a detox. And it also benefits you while you're detoxifying because it helps pull, excuse me, it helps pull toxins out. So the sauna is really great because it allows you to sweat. And there are numerous studies showing that sweat pulls toxins out. And not only that, <clears throat> with it pulling out toxins, it's just very important that we have that pathway open. I remember being, I remember in the past, I never, I would always be so proud to say, oh, I never sweat. Like, I remember being in gym class in middle school and like, this is so gross, but I like didn't have to clean my gym shirt that often because we had uniforms. 
And I'm like, oh, I don't need a clean mind. I don't sweat. I don't smell. And now I learned, which is so gross to admit. Um, but now later learning more about these detoxification pathways, it is not a good sign if you're not sweating. It means that your pathways are blocked and that toxins aren't getting out. So anything you can do to increase sweating, try to sweat every single day. And that is going to help you no matter if you're dealing with a mysterious illness or if you're feeling great, like it's just such a good thing to do. Um, the other thing, like another pathway is the lymphatic pathway. So I strongly encourage everyone to do things to support their lymphatic health. And the lymphatic system is a system that um, it essentially pulls out like debris and it's a system through the body tied to your glands, but it doesn't have a pump. So it relies on movement to get things flowing. Otherwise things get stagnant. And so you'll get like a swollen lymph node in your armpit or around, you know, your glands just always feel kind of swollen or you get that puffiness. A lot of times people, and this was me as well, I would work out and my fingers would get so puffy. My rings would like get stuck and I'd be so uncomfortable. And that part of that is just the stagnation of the lymphatic system. So some ways you can support your lymphatic system are by doing different yoga poses. I love this one called legs up the wall. It sounds very funny, but you lay in your bed and you just, you're kind of like bent like at a 90 degree angle and your legs are up the wall and your back is on the bed. This promotes lymphatic drainage. Super simple, super easy. It's also very calming. You could also do a lymphatic massage. You could do, there's a lot of um, hype around doing gua sha, which is like a massage on the face with a stone, a jade. Yeah. And the roller, the jade roller. Um, Those are all really great. So yeah, in summary, some tips would be sweating, making sure that that pathway is open, supporting your lymphatic health and making sure the lymphatic pathway is open and then eating bitter foods to keep your, um, that pathway open. (laughs) I, I think we got through the bulk of it, but I, I just want to remind everyone that the answers are within them. And that even though this can feel so overwhelming, that The changes you'll experience by taking even baby steps will be so profound and so life-changing that uh, it eventually will feel so second nature and natural. So don't be overwhelmed. Get excited and be motivated. And if you have any questions at all, feel free to reach out. I'm here as a resource. I love answering questions. And yeah. Well, look at that. You made it through the episode. Thank you so much for spending some time in your busy day to listen to the Lifelong podcast. If you're not already, make sure you're following Lifelong on Instagram at lifelong underscore pod, as well as my account, which is at holistic with Heidi. Also, if you feel inclined, if you feel like giving back in a little way or spreading some kindness, 
I would love if you could leave me a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. This really helps get the word out. And I'm just trying to spread this message of longevity and low toxic living so that everyone, no matter where they're at, no matter their financial background, no matter their education, no matter what they're going through, that they can access this high quality information featuring all different experts that I interview. And yeah, I would really appreciate it. So that's my little spiel on that. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye.